If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Acts chapter 15. If you do not have a Bible, just throw your hand up in the air, and one of our ushers will put one in your hand. Um, So if you don't have a Bible, just throw your hand up. Um, And if you do not own a Bible, that Bible is yours to keep. That Bible is yours to keep. It's our gift to you. Um, If you do have one, please just return it back to the ushers or leave it in your seat after service is over. Acts chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 36 all the way through 16, verse 5, but I want to kind of just set this up for a second. We've started two weeks ago a series called Growing Pains. We've been walking through the book of Acts, and one of the things that we notice is that healthy things tend to God doesn't call us to focus on growth or try to make growth happen, but we are called to be faithful, and oftentimes God sees fit to bless the faithful with fruit. Amen. And so things grow. And so what we see in the book of Acts that the church began to grow. It started off with 120 men and women upstairs in Acts chapters 1 and 2, just praying, waiting on this Holy Spirit that was promised to come. It's now grown to be thousands of people across two different continents and several countries. And so we've seen this expansion happen already. And so the church is starting to grow. But just like when your family grew, either through marriage, adoption, or having a child, or or being connected to someone that you didn't know before, when your family grew, it was a joyous time, amen? It was also a difficult time, amen? Amen. (laughs) There's a lot of hearty amen there. Because things that, that are healthy oftentimes grow, but growth produces a little bit of change, it produces a little bit of friction, and oftentimes there's conflict in the midst of healthy things growing. And so we've been walking through what the scriptures would call us to do in the face of that conflict. And today's passage, I think, may be the most practical and on-time message for Radiant Church. Now, we preach exegetically through the Bible, expositionally through the Bible, line by line, verse by verse. And so, really, this is the sovereignty of God at work because as I begin to study out this passage, I said, man, this is where we are as a church. We need this wisdom. We need this word. And you need this word for your life just like I needed it this week because what we're going to talk about today is hard choices. Hard choices. What do you do when the path isn't clear? What do you do when going left seems just as godly as going right, when going left seems just as painful as going right? What do you do? What choices do you make where there isn't a specific verse to tell you what to do? I think about my own family. Um, I have several family members who don't know the Lord, and one in particular who's battling with, with drugs and addiction for several years. And anyone who's ever been a part of that knows that there's no easy choices, is there? Do you give them a second chance this time? Do you give them some food this time? Do you invite them back over again this time? Is tough love what's necessary? Is grace what's necessary? And there seems to be enough Bible for both decisions, and you don't know what to do. And that's a hard enough decision to make on your own, but what about when we make those decisions in the context of a community where someone wants to go left and some of us want to go right? How do we resolve those differences? What does unity look like when there's disagreement? What does unity look like when godly people disagree? And that is what our passage today is about. So let me read the whole passage, and then we'll go back and see what God is saying to us. Please follow along in your Bibles at Acts chapter 15. I'm going to start at verse 36, and I'm going to read through chapter 16, verse 5. The Word of God says, After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. 
Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to do the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, and after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Verse, chapter 16, verse 1, Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra. There was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra, Iconium, spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. That is the word of God, church. So if you were just kind of plugging in and really diving into the series, you've heard a lot of names and places. You really don't have a context of what's happening. So let me give a little bit of a, of a, of a setting of the context. So Paul and Barnabas were these, I mean, these guys were thick as thieves, as some would say. When Paul had a radical conversion, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was one of the, the Jewish sect of people that were actually dragging men and women off to be jailed or executed. So he was anti-church. And God marvelously saved him. Jesus himself opened up his eyes and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul became not just a believer, but he became a missionary. He gathered brothers and sisters around him, began planting churches throughout several different countries and several different cities. Matter of fact, at this point in time, most of the church advancement is happening because of both Paul and his friend Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is a key player in this thing because Barnabas is not his real name. His real name is Joseph. But Barnabas had a little reputation in the church, and he was, the re- he was known for being an encourager. So he got the nickname Barnabas because it literally means son of encouragement. And that was proven true because now Paul was a persecutor of the church, gets saved, and tries to meet the disciples. The disciples don't really know who this guy is. They're, un- they're afraid of him in some cases. And so Barnabas comes along because he's, he's a Levite. He's well-respected in the community. He actually takes Paul and says, hey, man, I'm about for this. And because of Barnabas's co-signing on Paul's life, he's included into the, to the apostolic function of the church and is commissioned by the church itself to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas have traveled throughout the known world at this time, planting churches, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for many of us, we have to think, we have to pause and think about, okay, the, the, the reality, because sometimes we have the temptation to read the Bible as a book of fairy tales. We don't really get that these are real people in real places doing real things. So imagine a road trip with a friend of yours. Let me, let me make it more real. Imagine a road trip with that person who used to be a friend of yours. And after that road trip, you realize, ne- nope, never again. There's something about traveling with somebody, isn't there, that reveals something. I tell unmarried brothers and sisters all the time, you want to you like really get to know somebody, hop in the car and just drive to Columbia. But get in the car at 3 o'clock so you get traffic both ways and just see what comes out. <laughs> see what comes out. That, that, that tends to reveal the real person when they're in moments of stress or traffic or they're in, they're in moments of uncontrol. You can't make the cars go faster in front of you, y'all. But our desire to reveal something about ourselves. And so there's something exposing about traveling with other people. And we see that. In today's day and time, imagine traveling on a boat for months on end just to get to a destination. It's 
This is before modern times. So they had spent months, they had spent over a year, some people say two years, literally just traveling around planting churches. Paul and Barnabas, and they are still friends at the end of it. That's a testimony unto itself that Paul and Barnabas are still friends. And so this is a real friendship. And why am I bringing this up? Because we, get, we got to realize who these people are in order to realize what God is going to do. Now, let me break this up into a couple of points because this is about hard decisions and hard choices. The first thing that we see is this man being a source of contention. I love how the Bible calls him this man. Look back at verses 36 to 39. It says, after some time had passed, remember the decision that just been passed down that Pastor Jake preached about last time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters. So they had just been on this church planning tour. They said, hey, man, let's go back just to check in and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along, the scriptures say. But Paul insisted they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and not gone on to them with the work. So what happened? Now, Luke here, the writer of the book of Acts, he's really trying to be objective. So anything that's personally contentious, he doesn't give a lot of details on. So this right now is a huge fight between the two leaders of the missionary movement of the church. But because he doesn't want to bias us, most commentators say that he leaves all the details out and just tells you the facts. I want us to choose a side. And the same thing happens in Acts chapter 13, verses 13. It'll be on the screen. This monumental decision, it says, Paul and his companions, Barnabas and others, set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John, John Mark, left them and went back to Jerusalem. This is what Paul was talking about. John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now, in the sake of objectivity, Luke doesn't tell us what happened. Luke doesn't tell us that John Mark was weak, he was scared, so his mom called and he was sick. Like, he doesn't give any details because he doesn't want us to choose sides. He just said this happened because Luke is an historian. But it left a mark on Paul. Paul remembered John Mark abandoning his post, abandoning the mission. This man can't come with us. Now, Colossians 4 and other places doesn't make this, doesn't make it clear in this passage, but other passages of scripture let us know that Barnabas and John Mark are actually cousins. They're actually related. So Barnabas, the encourager, his natural disposition is to, is to walk with the brokenhearted, is to go after the one, is to encourage anyone who's down on their luck. And you add to that, that's his family. That's my cousin, man. And you begin to see some tension between a man he's been traveling with for years and his family. And so this man, this was the source of disagreement, y'all. Paul said, no, we're not taking him. He left us. He quit on us. This work is too hard. It's too strenuous. And I need people I can trust. I need people I can rely on for this work. He's not coming. And the question is, is Paul wrong? Look at Barnabas' point of view. Barnabas said, no, man, like, Think about the message we're preaching. We're preaching a message of hope and restoration and grace. Surely we can extend it to all. And the question is, is Barnabas wrong? Both of them could pull to scriptures to back up their point. Both of them could pull to precedent to back up their point. And here they are, two giants of the faith, godly men, fighting it out. Now, before we get to the resolution here, I want to make something clear that this is a disagreement, not, to, not a doctrine issue. This is a disagreement, not a doctrine issue. How do I know that? Verse 39 through 41, it says, They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. We're going to come back to that. 
Barnabas took Mark and sailed off, and Paul chose another man named Silas, who was a prophet, a leader of the church, and departed. And how do we know this wasn't a doctrinal issue? Because it, it says that they were commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. So the church affirmed the work of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark. So it wasn't a theological issue. Both of them were sent out with the blessing of the church, not as heretics, not as those who left the faith, but as as co-laborers of the faith. And yet there was a deep division and disagreement. And I think, church, for Radiant Church and for the church in the South specifically, we have not done this well. We have not disagreed well. We have not fought fair. We have not been gracious. We have elevated every disagreement to the point of doctrine. If you don't sing three on Sunday morning, you have, made, you have put Christ back on the cross. If you don't have pews and not chairs, you're, you're selling out to the world. You've compromised with this word. You're, like, you see this, right? It's an extreme example, but we hear this and we live this. And the problem is we don't know how to disagree with grace. And we think our preferences are theological, the way we worship, the way we preach, even our evangelism. Because think about it from now, if I had to choose a side, I mean, I I naturally would go towards Paul's side. Like, we need soldiers. If you can't can't stand up in the heat of battle, then I don't want you on my team. But Barnabas ain't wrong either, y'all. Think about it. We preach a message of grace. How do we not extend grace? We preach a message of reconciliation, taking those who are far and bringing them near. How do we not do that? Barnabas ain't wrong either. Both are equally valid points. Both just happen to see it a little bit differently. And so it's a disagreement, not a doctrinal issue, but they did it so well. And this is where I want to get us to today is how did they do it? There's a saying that we oftentimes say, or I'll speak for me, I oftentimes say, I used to say, was no hard feelings. Yeah, no, no hard feelings. Don't worry about it. Now, that sounds like, hey, man, I've worked this out in my heart. I've taken the plank out of my own eye. I've prayed. I've fasted. I hear from the Lord. We are in walking in perfect unity. That's what it sounds like I'm saying. What I'm really saying is we don't need to talk about it no more. We're good. I'm going to be where I'm at. You're going to be where you're at. Let's not waste each other's time. Anybody else? So we say this, but... In this situation, we actually see how by the power of the Spirit and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, there can really be no hard feelings even in the midst of disagreement. Because here's why Luke doesn't take a side and say who was right and who was wrong, because it doesn't matter, church. They're both right. See, I would have a tendency to argue over methods when you see that they were just concerned about the mission. They weren't getting hung up on the methods. Like, you want to have a different style of preaching and ministry? Cool. Let Christ be glorified. You want to do it this way? Cool. Let Christ be glorified. You see, for them both, the mission was the same. They just disagreed on the methods, and they realized that's not a disagreement at all. Y'all, that's what unity looks like. And how do I know? Because that's a bold statement that there was really no hard feelings. How do I know that Nate Paul and Barnabas and John Mark never reconciled? Philemon, you don't have to turn there, Philemon chapter 23, verse 24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my co-workers. Here in a letter to the church, Paul is saying that Mark, John Mark, he's my co-worker, he's my co-laborer. We're on the same team. 
even if we're not the same place. And what's most telling is 2 Timothy, so the Bible isn't written in chronological order, so 2 Timothy is actually Paul's last letter to the church right before he died. It's, it's probably, you know, it's a, it's a death letter. He knows he's about to die, and these are his final words of the man who planted more churches than any of us. And look at what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. You see, the Bible shows that there really wasn't any hard feelings. On his deathbed, he said, man, send John Mark so I, can, so I can be with him in my last days. So we can really say that this is no hard feelings, that he really did let it go. But how do we get there? And that's what I want to land, us, land the plane at today, is how do we get to the place where we can disagree without being divided? I've said often, I will keep saying that unity is not agreement, church. Unity is not agreement. What is unity? Unity is a supernatural bonding of the heart and affections for the mission of God. I'm going to say it again. Unity is the supernatural bonding of the heart and the affections for the mission of God that we share. It's when I cry because you're hurt. That's what unity is. We can disagree. You can do church that way. We can do the church this way. You can share the gospel this way. I can share the gospel that way. But unity isn't just cooperation. Unity is when we bleed together, church. Unity is when we have true love and affection for one another. Unity isn't just dismissing our differences. It's the difference between being colorblind, bad, and inclusion, good. I don't have to erase what's different about you in order to accept you. It's the difference between assimilation versus cooperation. Midland Park United Methodist Church right next door to us does church differently. And we had our Monday, Thursday service, kind of an Easter service with them. They didn't ask us to do it their way. We didn't ask them to do it this way. It wasn't assimilation. We got to get along. We can only get along if you do it our way. No, it was cooperation. You bring some strength with your with your in your liturgy, in your, in your ceremony, and that's good. We bring some strengths in because we're, you know, not 70 and we're young, you know, all these other things. Like, we have strengths too. Let's bring both of our strengths together and glorify God with them without erasing who we are. Do you see the difference, church? This is unity. And this is how Paul can look at his brother, Barnabas, the man that brought him into ministry. In split ways, but still call him a brother, but still call him a co-laborer. His feelings weren't hurt. He didn't leave the church, take a sabbatical. It was a true difference, but the unity was maintained. It's the difference, church, between preaching the gospel and preaching our culture. It's saying take Jesus and the way we do church too, and it's a package deal. Versus take Jesus and let him inform your culture. That's the difference of what we're talking about here is unity without sameness. And if, you, if, you're, if you're not careful, people always ask me, you know, I have the opportunity to, to be part of an organization called One Charleston that kind of talks about reconciliation and things like that. Um, and people always say, man, how do you get unity? Like, how do you get unity in a church? We know we're missing it. We know we're lacking Here's the problem with unity. If you focus on it, it's always just out of reach. I tell you all the time, when you build unity, don't focus on unity. Focus on the mission. The mission is what unifies us because the gospel is what bound us together in the first place. 
We may not like each other on the surface level. You may listen to different music. You may raise your kids differently. You may do all these things differently. But ultimately, what did Jesus do in your heart? Oh, he saved you because you were a sinner? Great. Saved me because I was a sinner too. Guess that makes us family. When you make your unity about the mission and not about yourself, all of a sudden it's possible. If you keep looking inward and outward to find the similarities and the things that you can associate with one another to build that, you will always find a reason to not love your brother and sister. You will always find a reason to not love your brother and sister. But if we look at Jesus, y'all, if we fix our eyes on what he did for us, let me prove it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he, Jesus, is our peace. He made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. We receive oneness and unity through what Jesus did. That's what he did for us. Now, what's our part? Our part of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, therefore, Paul speaking again, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. That's the call, church. The the call is to oneness, not sameness. And honestly, it's already been done for us. We got to just live our lives in a way that's worthy of it. You're already Act like it. You're already unified. Act like it. You're already one in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now act like it. And the most profound thing that Paul did in this text, the way I know that they were able to maintain unity, that Paul really had no hard feelings, is he did it again. The true test of whether you like something or not is would you do it again. Food, I'm that way. Some food I like, but I'll never order it again. It's like, it's not bad. But if I come back here again, probably not going to order this thing. So did I like it or I just not hate it, right? There's a difference. And so the true test of whether you really like something, the true test of whether something is real is whether you do it again. And so look what Paul does in verses 1 through 5 of Acts chapter 16. Paul went to Derbe and Lystra. And there was a disciple named Timothy. So Paul and Barnabas, they were a year ago, they were in this area preaching the gospel. And it says that he was the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. And look at here. It says Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Paul had just been burned by John Mark. A young dude, a young guy in the faith who had been traveling with them, who had been carrying the burdens of ministry. And you can tell if you're really bitter, if you've really forgiven somebody, is how you go forward. And Paul moves forward. He goes right back on mission and says, we are called to make disciples, and not just corporately, but individually. So I want to take someone else under my wing so I can disciple them and love them just like Jesus did. And he didn't let that past experience with John Mark burn him forever. So people tell me all the time, man, you know, I, you know, I, I left that church, and I just, you know, it wasn't nothing bad. I just, I just disagreed with, their, with the way they were doing things. And I said, well, that's kind of a weak reason, but 
okay, you sure it's not something personal? You sure no one said anything or someone did anything? It's like, no, it wasn't anything like that. It's just, you know, it was just, we just disagreed on some stuff. And the number one way I can tell whether that's real or not is I ask them, where are you going to church now? Oh, you know, I've just been going around. Okay, see, so you're hurt. Because when you're not hurt, you get right back on the Saturday, you get back into mission. You say, hey, Barnabas, Paul, we disagree. Hey, I'm going to go this way and do the mission of God. You go that way and do the mission of God. I found another young dude. John Mark was awesome. We just disagreed. So let me, let me disciple this dude, too. Like, when you're not hurt, you can get back in the saddle. But when you're hurt, you can take some time. You know, I just don't want to jump back into another church. Man. I just, you don't want to jump. Like, so that means somewhere along the way, your feelings got hurt. Your heart got hurt. Now you're not focused on the mission You're just mad that someone didn't treat you the way you thought you should be treated. So, church, what we're talking about is a resilient unity that can stand up in the face of disagreement. That can say, you want to sing this song, I want to sing this song, it's cool. You can go this way, you can go that way, but we're still family, we're still together, you're still my co-laborer. And I can demonstrate that by getting right back plugged in, by getting right back involved. That's my prayer for us, church, is that we would have a resilient unity that's not based on sameness. Because if you look around this church, we are not a sameness-type church. Sameness isn't possible for us. And if we don't develop that in our hearts now, we won't last, church. Reading church is two years old, and right now it's fun, it's sexy, it's cool. People are talking about it, this whole unity thing, this whole multi-ethnic church thing. But this is hard work. And at the other side of that hard work, disagreement still might be the result. But how will we live our lives after that, on the other side of that? Will we still see each other as co-laborers? Will we still see each other as brothers and sisters, or will we need to take some time off? This is my prayer for us. Jesus Christ didn't just purchase your salvation. He purchased a church. He purchased a people. He already died for it. He already did the hard work. All he's calling us to do is work, walk worthy of it, to live like it's so because the cross of Jesus Christ has made it possible already. Can you believe with me, church? Can we not base our unity based on agreement? Can we, like Paul and Barnabas, say, you can go left and I can go right and we can both be godly? We can both be right? One of us doesn't have to be wrong, just different? Can we do that because of what Jesus Christ did for us? Can we agree to that, church? Let me pray for us.